I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Chris? Wakanda. Wakanda. Yes, we're still saying Wakanda even after the goddamn movie came out because goddamn it, it's at a billion. Is it not, Chris? Well. Is it officially at a billion? Is that officially I, I don't. I mean, I was talking to someone last night and he said it's, it's like $27 million away from, from um, beating the first Avengers film. Really? Which I think was a billion. Okay. But it goes back to what I was saying months ago. Mm-hmm. This is going to be like, you know, like the biggest film of the year. And, and, I, and I still think it's going to be the last big blockbuster. Right. Now, and, are we talking domestic or are we talking everywhere? I think like worldwide, it's, gonna, it's the biggest film. Mm-hmm. I, mean, if, I mean, to meet, reach a billion like it is, that's like right. the worldwide number. Right. I mean, it's maybe like four or 500 million in the States and another like, you know, 600 million internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> So you we're know. making more money internationally. Well, no, I'm just saying. Because yeah, you, yeah. I, I expect it for like fucking uh, uh, the Avengers and shit like that because you know Marvel just travels. But looking at Black Panther with the black culture in the movie and it's still traveling. We'll see. You feel me? <clears throat> I feel you. But I've always found that there's a difference. And this movie, to me, is not necessarily like a black film because right. it's it's a Marvel film first and foremost. I mean, like it's banking on the the build up from that. Right. Secondly, it's an elevated genre film. It's a, still a superhero film. It's still you know like a, a, a James Bond type of actiony type of you know this Star Wars type of thing. Those movies do big, regardless because. It just pushes the envelope, and it and it's you know and, and being elevated genre, that's what people gravitate to. It's just like the reason why, not the reason why, but it's part of the reason why Get Out, in my opinion, did so well because right. it's not just a it's the horror film right. that just happens to have a black lead, and everyone kind of will gravitate toward toward this, uh, this elevated genre thing. Right. Um, and I just also feel like we've been been lied to about the way that you know yeah bamboozled you know we've been had run them up <laughs> you know since uh, about the, the the presence of black films or, or, or black leads the way they would travel internationally I mean right. you know there was the movie I can't remember what it's called now uh, uh, it's a French film about maybe five or six years ago mm-hmm. um, started this guy named Omar Sy and this other fr- this other French actor who I love a lot, but I can't remember his name either. And it was about this white guy who is um, he's like uh, 
paraplegic or something like that, mm-hmm. and he hires this black kind of like it's French film, and it's, and he hires this like this thug black guy. He's not a thug, but he's like a street guy yeah. to take care of him. Oh, and, love that movie, uh, Untouchables. Untouchables, yeah, Untouchables, yeah, like yeah, Untouchables, Untouchables, Untouchables. Yeah, I couldn't remember what it's called, but and uh, love I, that I movie. think they were trying to remake it here with Brian Cranston and with. Um, uh, Marsha uh, Ali or some shit. No, no, your boy uh, Kevin Hart. No, but, yeah, I will. I, 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 I'm pretty sure they remade it. No, but it's a, but, but except it's a Weinstein's movie, so I don't know if it's ever going to come out. Uh, you know, yeah. um, but, but I don't buy that even. A no, little neither bit. why. But, but that, uh, that's that a, black dude was bad, badass, right. really badass. Right. And but I'm saying, but that's a movie that played really, really well in Europe right. because. It was telling a story that wasn't necessarily about, you know, like American black culture, right. you know, and and the thing that like I said, it was he, familiar though. It was familiar right. because you just have a guy who's part of the underclass when there's underclass in fucking every society right. who's doing what you just happens to be black. I mean, and, and that story could have worked if that guy was Arab, you know, or something like that, um, or Chinese, depending on wherever it is. Yeah. Um, and to me, it's like, I always feel there's a situation where what has plagued black American films is that the, the cultural stuff is so, is so specific to America. Right. It's almost like the way comedies don't travel. And I kind of feel like it, feel, it would feel to other people like it's a foreign film for us. Right, right. You know, like if, if, I mean, there's, there's only a certain audience in America that's going to watch a film from France or a film from Germany. Right. And I feel that's the, the, conversely, that's how different people see these films that come out of America that are black, that are about like specifically the black right. experience. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that this movie, black, like black Panther just breaks a lot of that mold. And I think that also the world, Outside of the United States, it's a lot more accepting of what goes on in Africa as a as something viable. Well, let's just be real about something. I mean, most of Europe travels to Africa. Yeah, like, that's a holiday. Yeah, most Americans haven't even been there. No, and especially Black Americans, and they don't want to go. You know, right. they, they you know get this, there's because 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 we've been like 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 bred to believe right. that right. it's the worst place to go and everything Correct. like that. Correct. You know. Um, so I'm excited for the movie. I, uh, I mean, you know, it was you know what? Let me, let me introduce you. I just realized I didn't even introduce you to the goddamn show. Oh shit. See how we do talking. This is why we call it the rant room. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all know how we do it on the rant room on the show. We, dis- we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting stories, craft and shit like that. So my girl Lisa Bolacaja is out doing her her thug thizzle out there somewhere. <laughs> and she's at Ikfa or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's gonna be, I think. This no, week. no, I saw Did she leave I already? Saw, I saw some photos of her there last oh, night. Like, oh, that's yeah, what that was. She was, yeah. I didn't even put two and two together. For some reason I thought I thought she was in San Diego at at I don't know, Comic Con for sure. I didn't put Ikfa together. In that picture, that's a cool shot of them all like, in, in the mirror yeah, yeah, and the thing. Cool yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, Lisa, Lisa's at Ikva doing her thug dizzle, <laughs> and we got my man Chris Derrick in here with us, writer, producer himself, director uh, from the writing directing team, the Derrick Brothers. What's up, Chris? Why does it feel like it's been a minute since I seen you? It's been like four or five days, right? <laughs> when was the last time I saw you? I don't know. It, it feels it? like and it was, <clears throat> is the Oscars. That's that's the last last time we hung out. Was it? I think so. Yeah, at he, Pam's. But where was it? That was the next day. We were at Pam's that one night watching the fight, and then oh, we were yeah. at the Oscars the next day. Yeah, so it was like, yeah, it was like, 
It's like two weeks. That's right. We haven't we haven't taped for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But otherwise, I'm doing. You know, I'm just. What you up to? Uh, I'm I'm doing some rewrites on. I got the last notes back from Scott. Okay. He really really loved the last draft. Uh, he had one question on one scene that I got to handle, right. um, but it's a story question. Good. In terms, of, you know, like it's not a. Uh, he just wanted to know some, like a, the motivation behind somebody. Okay. So, that so you was just it. need to go back a page or two and clean something yeah, up. Well, yeah, right? and I was like, oh, you know what? I have that story notes. I like I based the scene off of a story that I read that right. uh, in another book, and I just kind of like extrapolated it, and I didn't explain. This is a piece I got to explain. Right, right. So, I, so I'm excited about that. Um, and then I'm working on my director's reel. Right. So that's ready. Uh, I have one last tweak to do, um, but yeah, yeah, and then just I, I, I don't know. I'm writing some other shit. I'm right. trying to write. I sent this script to Jeff Thorne to read like okay. ten pages of mm-hmm. that. Uh, he's, <laughs> okay, you got to explain that to folks. Folks are like ten pages. Why are you only sending ten pages? Well, tell okay, the kids. So okay, here's the thing. So you know, this kind of goes back to what uh, Stacy. Um, Rukeyser was saying, mm-hmm. you know, she's basically like, you know, sh- showrunners and stuff. Showrunner on unknown, unknown, yeah. Um, that when they want to read you to see if they if they want you want to to bring you in for unreal. Reading, Sorry, unreal, unreal, mm-hmm. yeah, unreal. <clears throat> um, they probably just going to read like 10, 12 pages. Like right. just get through that first act or whatever right. it is, a teaser to see right. if you can grab them. And I, you know, didn't necessarily like need Jeff to read the whole pilot. I just wanted a science fiction thing, uh, since you know he's he's very That's versed in thing, that. Right. Uh, I was I just wanted him to read the first ten pages and see right. if like if, if he'll continue. Yeah, if mm-hmm. if he'll continue, but also it's like you know the thing about science fiction is that you got to kind of set the world, kind of set some stakes, right. and speak your voice real fast on those ten pages. Right. And I had been rewriting something. Uh, so I just wanted to see if there, because I felt the earlier draft was good, but what happens that, that kind of sets the world was taking 10 pages, and I didn't right. get into the character mm-hmm. who you're going to follow, really, until a little later. So I just had to, like, shave, so I had to, like, kind of shave that down to, like, six pages. Mm-hmm. I, did, I, did, I had to take 15 pages and shave it down to 10. But see, this, this is, I'm actually glad you're talking about this. <clears throat> I talk about this all the time about how, you know, if, if you're ever sitting behind me, I have the script I'm writing, the outline for the next one, and then minimalize like a script I wrote six or seven years ago. And it's exactly because of the reason you're talking about is even with screenplays and even TV writing, <clears throat> the form changes and, and especially attention spans change. So <clears throat> that's why there's no longer really 120 page scripts that much anymore. Everything's like one tenth. It's yeah. a long script, yeah. you know. Yeah. So like people we're trying to get you, people want to yeah. get a hundred. Yeah, know? some people are like, you can write an eighty-five page script. I'm like, well, eighty-five page script. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> now I've done many eighty-nine page or a 90, 92, 94, You know, whatever. So this isn't about page count, but where I'm going is you want to be tighter. You want to be more precise. So that inside the incident that used to happen on page ten. You know, when you and I first started writing. Yeah, it's got to happen sometimes sooner. Sometimes page 15 back then. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know it's I mean? got to happen sooner. Now, you, page sooner. two, it's like the inside, you know, it's got to be, bam, right it, into it. I mean, it's got to be that, and it's like, you know, like I wanted to, um, and I came up with a, a, a different way to like address the problem with 
the you mean the the pilot problem, the mm-hmm. pilot dilemma, right. as Jim Grisanti would say. Right. Um, I wanted to have that soon, like like right up front, right. because uh, I just wanted to, because I because I basically said you got ten pages, I got to do a lot in ten pages. Mm-hmm. And I got to be, and just like, like I said, as it was 15 pages and I had to, sh- and I said, I'm going to shave it down to 10. Right. I want you to understand everything about what's happening in 10 pages. Um, and to, you know, cut five pages out of something was, was, was a, difficult, hard, but, right. a, but a lot of it was, um, compressing the action lines, right. you know, and there's that whole thing that. Um, and it's forcing you to look at what's important. Yeah. Oh my right? God. I mean, like you know, like there's this. It starts off with there's like a chase that's in. The, it's a four page, like a three and a half page chase in the mm-hmm. middle of those ten pages, and that was like th- I kept thinking this has just got to be the most important elements of that chase. Mm-hmm. Nothing could be there. And there was like four little elements. There was actually there was four little different slug lines that I was like. Well, these can all go because I can, you know, there's, it's just like just someone running through a hall. Mm-hmm. I don't need that running through the hall. I just need to say, you know, they're making a decision in one scene. Next scene, they're up, they're up on the roof, right. you know, it's like, because they run out the door mm-hmm. and they're trying to get to the roof. So do I need to show them on the stairs or show them in the elevator? No. Um, not important. And then <clears> I, also, do, I do that a lot. And you see that in movies. It's hard to interrupt you. you do, it's, it's the cheat. Where, where, where your hero is running from, you know, the villain and they get caught in a freaking hallway somewhere and they're like, oh shit, and oh, they look left, they look right, there's nowhere to go. Boom, they look over, there's the elevator, and the next scene, they're at the top of the elevator. Yeah. You already know they went there, so you don't yeah. have to show them yeah. get inside yeah. of it. Yeah. You know so I mean? there's all that, <clears throat> there, was this thing, there was just something that, you know, because like, I do a lot of... Um, uh, book design on the side mm-hmm. and it was just I remember this thing that uh, John August talks about about getting rid of all the like widows and orphans right in your uh, that's a brilliant way to look thing. at it isn't it lovely and so you know people who don't know like that's basically like if you have a sentence that has like um, like one or two words on the second line of the sentence mm-hmm. can you make it one line because right. it saves you so, you know, like those two words are the orphans or if it kind of like flows over to the next page and there's one line or it might be just a line of dialogue is before the scene ends is on, you know, it's, 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 it's like the whole conversation is on page two, mm-hmm. but at the top of page three is just like the final line of dialogue. How do you like work that line back up so it's all on page two? Exactly. And that might mean I have to like, re- I have to rewrite a lot of the conversation right. to get it to do that. And that just helps <laughs> with the read and the pacing and everything. And this, and this is why I'm always telling everybody that I can look at somebody's script and tell they haven't read it on paper. See, this is you to me reading it on paper, trying to make it pretty on the page. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It should be pretty on the page, which is exactly what you're saying. Shouldn't overlap. Shouldn't have moments like that. It should be clean. You, and your eyes should be going down. They shouldn't be going across. When you have right. six or seven lines of action all together bundled up in a paragraph, your eyes are going across. Yeah. They're not going down. They're not going down. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So, so something that I do is is something that you were just talking about. You know, like like you were just saying, like the it's it's a, it, we're in the middle of an action scene. It's a fist fight, and boom, somebody lands on the butt, and you know, um, crash a table 
uh, smashes into the face, period. Now, what a lot of people will do would say is he grabs whatever. I'll just say grabs. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll take yeah. out the he and the she and yeah. the whatever. Yeah. If I'm talking about one person in particular, I'll keep it that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Those little abbreviations to me, what I, which I call staccato writing, you know, it's, which is very elevated. It's very clever to do it that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is something that I'm always doing. So people read my script and like, who are they talking about? I'm like, oh, well, it's the same fucking person. If you think about it, I'm only, especially if it's one person in a particular scene. Yeah, well, I don't have to keep saying yeah, he, keep, she, yeah, they, yeah, jumping around. Yeah, right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a really interesting article I read somewhere. Uh, it's called, like, Write the Shots, was the title of it. And they kind of broke, they broke up, or they examined the, the, the screenplay for the, the Star Trek uh, uh, reboot, the okay. first one. And it was, and it was <clears throat> going over that scene where, you, you know, when Kirk and, Sulu are like they're uh, they're like skydiving on to like down to that right. that thing in the that's that's shooting the the energy in the Vulcan, mm-hmm. and it's like what the guy was saying <laughs> was the guys who wrote that um, Kurtzman and Orsi they do the staccato writing because they're basically saying the small sentence you know like um, grabs the gun mm-hmm. as opposed to he grabs the gun. If, if already saying you know if, if we mention his name beginning right. grabs the gun. That just little short paragraph of two wor- sentences of two words is kind of saying to you, as the writer, as you're telling the filmmaker and everyone, it's like that might be an individual shot of right. his hand grabbing the gun only, you know, right. and then stuff like that. That's exactly what I'm. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's exactly, exactly what it is, you know. Right. And, it, and it's like you know, it's like he punches his face, right. you know, punches his face. You, right. s- you see that fist going. You don't need to mm-hmm. see. So it's it, it's it's and they're short lines. They're real short lines. And they go. They, they a go period real, at the yeah, end of it. Yeah, boom, boom, right. boom, boom, right. boom. And um, it's just stuff like that that, right. that 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 speeds the read up and makes it. Uh, but it, it speeds the read up because it makes it feel kinetic. Right. And the thing is, is that you also don't need to even do that. I mean, you can still do that even in scenes that aren't action scenes. Right. You can figure out how to do that. Right. I, I know that Eric, what's his name, uh, Eric Heiser, did mm-hmm. that all. Did it all over. Um, oh my God, uh, Arrival, Arrival, Arrival yeah. script. Yeah. And it's just it's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a style choice. It's a style choice, you know. But as a writer, it enables you to kind of put more information on the page right. because you're not uh, filling it up with all these other words and mm-hmm. that, that, that you know that, that break it down. Um, and I was thinking in your <clears throat> in a sci-fi uh, 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 even pilot movie, whatever, in the first ten pages, you have to world build. You have to I introduce know. character, and you have to and you have to set up what the what what the what the incident or dilemma is in ten pages. I know. And motherfucker, what's the rules of the world? I know, which is even more. Difficult. I know, <laughs> I, dude. I'm me? telling you, man. It's, <laughs> it was like I, I mean, I don't. I'm not. There's like, I don't say they're cheats, but there's things I'm doing in it to. Okay, for instance, like I'm using a framing device, you know, because it's interesting that there was an article, or not that article, but that post that like Glenn Mazar put on about mm-hmm. don't write act breaks and everything right, like that, you know? Right. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm not going to do that because I, mm-hmm. I, I don't do it anyway. But in the, in the earlier version of this pilot, you know, like there were those act breaks. Right. But those act breaks were like punctuated with these like, you know, like five or six line kind of uh, scenes because it's in the future and I'm trying to, and I wanted to explain how we got to this certain 
uh, situation that that the, the world is. Right. And I didn't want to do one of those sequences where you see like in the beginning of Blade Runner or, or all these movies I love, where it's that big text scrawl that, that, right. that, that, uh. that you got to read, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and 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 I and mainly because which is a huge cheat. It's a huge cheat, but, but, but it you have, worked at the but, time. Now everybody tries to do well, it. That's the problem. Well, that's true. But the right. coolest, ver- but the coolest version of that. Let me mm-hmm. tell you the coolest version of that is. Okay. The coolest version of that is in Conan the Barbarian because people always underestimate that movie. That movie's so fantastic. Yeah. Is that the 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 like. There's that narrative thing like that, that mm-hmm. you know, that the 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 text thing, right. but it's not written on screen. It's a man saying it, like to the screen. I can't remember. He's speaking. It's over black, and this guy is talking. Huh. There's the like the guy who he meets later on in the in the movie. He was like his, the the magician guy Mako. Right. You know, it, it comes in and he just starts speaking. Like he's setting the world tone, as opposed to saying, you know, this is Berlin, 1925, or something like that. You know, as on text, he's saying in Berlin, right. 1925, right. We, and he has his and, and and it all works in that movie because that guy's voice is fantastic. You couldn't That's get away important. with it with yes. someone who did, with with anybody's voice. Right. Uh, so I'm doing like a framing sequence where like every act break is situated with this kind of like. It's a, it's, so that's a gimmick. Yeah, it's a gimmick that right. I'm doing, you right. know, because it because it frees me up. Because mm-hmm. that's something else that we did too in the in the in the original version. There's a full page like montage that kind of like sets the you know kind of sets the world. Like all these right. little things are happening that kind of they you know that set the stage for what's happening. Or what I was like, I don't want to do that. Hmm. I mean, it's just a whole page of nothing of nothing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I can work it in in this other thing, and then it gives me these breaks in the middle of the movie, and I can and because I'm making a social commentary too, yeah. so um, I, well, so I don't know. No, but that's interesting. I mean, it's 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 all about you know being compelling. Like you were saying, you know, you realized the script was good, but you needed to turn it up. Yeah, you need to do something different. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's like um, I was watching last week's episode, not this week that just came out, but the last week's episode of Atlanta. And it had this opening that jarred me. Really? Jarred me. I was like, and I'm thinking about Abbeville because we're in talks with a really big producer about producing and, and, and going to go shoot the thing again. And I'm like, we need to change the teaser. Yeah. It's not good enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I saw that and I was like, wow, that's what we're against. You know what I mean? We have to be that good. So I need to go back and make some changes on it and convince the director. I know we thought the shit was cool. It's cool, but it ain't compelling as this motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, interesting, though. Well, but yeah, but see, that's the thing that I think is so... It's, it's, it, I mean, this thing about television, which is very... Uh, um, I, I, I don't know. It's like, like television, like those first five minutes of it are so important in a way that... <clears throat> Um, it's kind of it's 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 kind of it's kind of tragic right. in a sense because people will turn off your show just, just just you know just because they don't like those first two or three minutes right. and then it's like but the rest of it could be amazing or well, you know, well here's just, here's the irony about that show I don't mean to jump off on Atlanta but here's how clever he is they have their five main characters mainly right maybe four or five and. The teasers sometimes open up on characters you don't even fucking know. And it'll be with them for two or three minutes. None of the main characters in there at all. But then, bam, 
there's a big reversal somewhere. Uh, yeah. And it's like, shit. Well, what, <laughs> you know what I mean? well, see, see, like, that to me is smart writing in general. And it's that's something that for a long time, like, I brushed um, up. I, 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 that's something that, that Chip and I used to do a lot. Exactly. You know, start, like, start off with something that wasn't the main people mm-hmm. and then find a way to dovetail like into the main people somehow. Right. And everyone was like, don't do that. Start right. with the main people. Like, and those people don't like, don't factor back into the right. show. And I mean, I w- yeah, that, that's a fine line. Cause people forget that. I mean, to keep your thought that people will introduce somebody else and then transition into the main story and totally forget about that person yeah, those people. Out, they yeah. should still be in the store. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, but I, I mean, I, I just kind of feel like those guys probably couldn't have done that type of opening mm-hmm. in the first few episodes of the first season. You know, I can't remember if they did or not. To be honest with you, but he did do something where <clears throat> the pilot or two, and, and maybe the second episode, if I remember off the top of my head, I'm sure somebody out there is a better expert on it than I am. But I think. Maybe it opened and focused on Donald Glover's character, but then all of a sudden, boom, it was off to one of the B or C guys. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But, like, following them, and it's like their whole story. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying, I, I can't remember what happened in the pot. The pot, what he wakes up, and he's in the girl, he's in his baby's he's, he's mama's like, yeah. bed or something like right. that. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, he couldn't have started, or maybe it was something else. In the pilot, in the, in, in the script, though, it opens with him in college. Oh. So he's actually in school and basically doesn't want to be there anymore. So but, then he comes back home. See, now see, that's a point that I think is always really crazy, too. I kind of feel like sometimes you're writing stuff because you got to get people on board. Right. And you're setting things up. You, I mean, but you, you're getting people on board who need to, like these executives, and they're, they're wondering... Oh, you know, I'm not invested enough and right. blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, I need to know more about these people in this pilot. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. no, you don't. Because mm-hmm. what you can't assume when you're writing, but we, but but if you've made stuff, then you know it's true. The actor brings a type of, I mean, that's, I mean, look, if someone gave me Atlanta to read and not knowing anything about it, I probably need that scene like with him in college. Right. It tells you a lot it about it. It tells you a lot about yeah. it. But the minute you tell me this is Donald Glover, this mm-hmm. is his story, he's writing this, mm-hmm. I don't need that because Donald Glover brings a magnetism. Right. That's the thing about like, it makes weird sense to me. It's like stars of shows and stars of movies, like they bring, the, the reason why they're cast is because you, there's that feeling of instant empathy with the character. That's what they call it, carrying the yeah, show. They you know, can carry the yeah, show. Yeah, they can carry right. the show. And whatever it is, and it's like, that. And, and therefore, you see it time and time again where certain scenes just cut out in mm-hmm. the pilot because the, the, the execs needed it to feel comfortable right. and then you cut it out when you, they, they probably even shoot it, but then when they're editing it, they're like, you know, we don't need that. Right. Now, I mean, this, right. I, it's, it's a fine line to understand what, what, you, what you, you need and don't need like when you're writing based upon what and I've thought about that. I keep thinking, why didn't they put that scene? Because it reads well on the page, but you learn so much about them over the over. Like you said, it wasn't necessary. It was necessary for the readers and for the show to get picked up, for them to understand who he is. But for the audience, they have much more curiosity of who he is, which yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Let me take my time with this. Let me introduce you slowly. 
to well, these elements. Well, well, I mean, it's not even slowly. It's just, I mean, you know, I mean, it is slowly because it's it's happening like like over the course of an episode, right. the you know whatever it is. But it's like I'm running up against something else on, on this 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 other pilot that we're writing, mm-hmm. and people were reading it and they go, "This is such a fantastic world. I've never seen this type of shit. This is so cool." Blah blah blah. But like like. Uh, the crux of the world is introduced in the first two pages, mm-hmm. and then you don't get like any more of it in in, in the, the pi- whole pilot. In the whole pilot. Mm-hmm. Because part of it takes because it's a it's a show that starts off in Miami mm-hmm. and then goes down to South America, right. and it's all about what's really, it's, I mean a big chunk of it, the series would be was was going to take place in South America, mm-hmm. and I'm just kind of like you get the tease that South America is going to be coming into this in a big way right. in the in the in the opening, but you got to know who this character is and what's he, and what's at stake for him and what he's risking right. before. You know, and it can't be an easy trip for him to get down to South America for what it's gonna, be, what the story's gonna be about. So I was like, I can't show you mm-hmm. him down there yet. And everyone was really responded, responded well to the to the pilot who's read it in terms of like, this is so compelling, but I want this in the pilot. I'm like, no, that's actually why I saved it because I knew you'd want to see it. Right. Come back to episode two and see that. Right. That's if you want it, come see it. That reminds me of that. Have you, did you hear that story that David Mamet, I think, I believe it was David Mamet, I think years ago, probably was 20 years ago, he was on, <clears throat> I believe he was on a panel or something, somebody asked him about, oh, I loved whatever particular movie you wrote, I really loved the character, but then you killed them off, and I was like, well, what the hell, you know, I really wanted to, I was following the character and whatever, and he says, well, then I did my job. You know what I mean? They were like, but I thought you were going to bring, he's, they're like, he's like, no, I wrote the character the way that I wanted them to write them so that you would be curious so that you'd fall in love with them and then I'd kill them on purpose. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you're kind of like... Now you're like, what the fuck? I mean, and you still want to watch... Right. You now still, I'm, right. Like you still want to watch what's happening because mm-hmm. you're like, but yeah, like that's right, like that's being a great I'm writer. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah. Yeah, but it's being a great writer because <clears throat> I've hooked you, mm-hmm. you know, and... He the, said, I did my job. Yeah, I've hooked right. you enough so that you are comp- curious to watch more. And the thing that you don't want to do as a writer is give away the store mm-hmm. early. Mm-hmm. And I think that some people want the store given away early because they're so compelled to know more. And I'm like, you gotta wait. Right. You gotta wait. Right. You know, you can't just get everything. I think a lot of that's to do with now with with our current thing of pe- people have delayed. They, they can't deal with like um, delayed gratification. Mm. You know, like people just like, I, I, I need it now. I need it, mm. you know, because it's just so available to them now, you know. Mm. But my thing is, if you do, think about it, if I fucking wrote a show that you were like, I need to know more about this now in the pile, why was it in there? Oh, well, hit the button to play next <laughs> right now. And you're going to see it. Right. You know, like, like it's designed for that. True. You True. know, it's not necessarily designed for uh, a network thing where you to come back next week or something like that. It's like, you can watch it, you can watch the next episode now. I was thinking about something you were talking about a few minutes ago about <clears throat> Glenn Mazzara had put out that um, that post on Facebook about not needing or no longer nobody cares about uh, act breaks anymore. <clears throat> and I agree. However, I think you should write the act breaks and take them out so that you make sure you have a bang at the moment that it's supposed yeah. to. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? So that, like, for instance, I do a little trick. If anybody ever reads any of my scripts, you'll see it in every script I've ever written. I do a thing where at the end of my act break, whether it be movies or TV, I always 
end on a big bang and I dissolve too. That's how you know I'm at the end of my acts. I don't even tell you. But you can, as a reader, because I used to be a read for Sundance and all these other, I can tell. I'm, how many scripts have you read? You're like, where's the end of act one? Like, you can't even feel it. You don't know where it is because nothing big happened or there was no change. There was no shift. There was no whatever. <clears throat> and you read my script and you can clearly see where I am. I'm at the end of every sequence right on the money. You, <laughs> you know to, what I mean? You it's, have to, you mean uh, it's clear. So the whole thing about the acts is, although you're really doing a three-act structure always for a movie, um, unless you're really talented and you understand how Shakespeare made it work with five acts, right. he's still telling the beginning of an end. The, the, <clears throat> the act breaks are just like you said. They're like dramatic explosions. Because, uh, I mean, it was, it was this guy, his name, like, Joel Silver used to always used to say, big producer in the 80s and 90s, uh-huh. used to say, if people don't know, because he has a personal movie in a long time, but his, uh-huh. but his last big movie, you guys remember, is The Matrix. Right. Um, Little small movie. Yeah, small. I mean, he did a few things <laughs> after that, but that, but that was his last movie. But, but he did Die Hard and uh-huh. Predator and... Uh, All the big action Yeah, big action films. Right. I want to say he was involved in the Luther Lippin franchise, too. Uh-huh. Um but it's like he kept saying, every ten pages you got to have an explosion or a fight, right? In an action film, and essentially he's just saying that the audience needs this this release of I mean, the, like like you basically can build tension for ten pages and then you got to release it, right? And you got to keep doing that, doing that, doing that, and it's like if you if you let that if you if you, if you hold the tension too long as the writer. The audience gets restless, and when they get restless, they might get bored. Right. And that's kind of what that. I mean, it doesn't. Have, you don't have to have an explosion, but there, that, it's something dramatic happens. I right. mean, I was watching. Oh, I saw "Call You by Your uh, Call Me by Your Name" the other night. It's oh so, my! Fucking you know what God. else you need to see? Oh my! Love Simon, dude. I want to see that. I just watched it yesterday at the Writers Guild. Theater. Oh my God! I want to see that. It's like a John Hughes movie today. It's Badass, dude. I saw because uh, be, because I saw the trailer for that when mm-hmm. I saw uh, "Call Me by Your Name." Right, but "Call Me by Your Name," the 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 like you know like these explosion moments are all the little moments between mm-hmm. um, Timothy and Army where right. they kind of like that you know the relationship is now ratcheting up right. and you rat you know like there's that moment in the when they're playing. Um, Volleyball playing volleyball, mm-hmm. and he like grabs his shoulder, and right. he's like, "Oh, oh!" And it's like, "Okay, wait a minute now, <laughs> right. now, uh, like so, something's happened there. Like, there's mm-hmm. a change in what the thing is, you know." Um, and so, it, and 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 that's kind of just a small moment. It's just like he touches them, and like mm-hmm. touches them like a little too long, right. and it, and 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 the kid doesn't know how to react. Right. But that, but it's, and he did it in public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. and it, and it's right. and it's disrupting his world, mm-hmm. and that's all that it is. That's such a good movie, though. It's oh such a good fucking movie. But I was thinking about. Um, so I have this this script mutilated. This this one horror script that I have that just keeps getting option, keeps getting option, right? And um, so my manager called me last week. She's like, Hill, I was at the grocery store, ran into this big producer, told him about your movie, sent them, because I have this whole visual deck on it. I don't know if I ever showed it to you. And, and, and sent, it to, sent them the deck. They love it. They want to read the script. So I was like, well, shit, I haven't even looked at that thing. <laughs> let, me, let me clean it up for a couple of days. That's why you see me just like in here working all last week. And so um, every time people read that particular script, of all the things in there they love, there's this one sequence around 
yeah, around page somewhere between 60 and 75. There's this sequence where in that particular script, every 10 pages, somebody dies, mm. right? Mm, mm. Every, after page 12, every 10 pages, somebody dies, right? So, and I, you, you set all that up. I have this amount of people. So there are exactly seven or eight people trapped in this place. One by one, there's eight sequences. There's eight people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Every 10 pages. Over, every die. 10 pages. But there's this one sequence that I do where one of our people, one of the people who's weak becomes strong. Mm. And there's a battle between them all over who is going to be the new leader, mm. if you will. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody dies during this moment, but it's about this particular character having their arc. They finally arc, they unveil themselves, and now they're ready to go out and fight the monster. You feel me? Right. And, and what I did cleverly was, in my opinion at least, so when they finally go to battle with the monster, that's when, because now we didn't kill somebody for two people for those sequences... Two people got to go quick. Gotta, gotta go, yeah. You feel me? <laughs> they got to go quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to be clever about that, yeah. right? You know what well, I mean? Well, see, it's good to you mention that because it's something that we were talking about, I guess maybe two episodes ago when we were talking about writing a script that is a movie. Right. That's not just the story on this. That's a good read. You know, like that scene you're telling me about this guy's arcing, like he's becoming on his own. Like that's the scene that you know... You, you know the the director is, is going to figure is going to get is going to respond to that scene. Right. The actor is going to respond to that scene, right. and it's going to be like certain people might say, "Well, that's what we're going to hang the movie on," mm-hmm. you know, because that's. I mean, if you look at a lot of movies, there's always like one scene that you kind of hang the movie on, mm-hmm. and as much as the movie, and it's usually in the trailer. Yeah, just thinking about it now. I was talking to someone about like Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's like. You know, there's that scene with the um, um, on the truck. Oh, yeah. You know, like that's the scene that they, they kind of like, um, like the movie kind of hangs on that scene. You know, because it's like he doesn't have the arc anymore. Mm-hmm. He's got to get it, and he's going through a lot of shit. You know, uh, to to that point, mm-hmm. which is all kind of like physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, there's most of it is mental, is like is strategy stuff. He has a couple of gunfights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that scene, he's got to be smart and physical, and that's and you know and and, um, and at the same time, he's taking an arc back. So it's like I get it's, it's like all things are happening. It's like that's and that and that's one of the best sequences in that movie too. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but that that's about being clever with. I think you talk about it all the time with that particular movie, like the moment where you know Harrison wasn't feeling well, so he didn't want to do the fight scene. Oh so yeah, like let me just yeah yeah put a gun out. Let me shoot the guy. And um, so like little things like that about, but that's something they discovered on the screen. You didn't discover that in the page, but you have to figure out ways to do that on the page. On the page, yeah. You know, well, which, yeah, is, which yeah. is difficult. To yeah. Do. Well, yeah, because you have to get you have to put on the page. So they can get you to set right. and figure out this shit. Right. You probably, I've read the script. It's been years, but you probably read the script. I, I think that's a, a scene. Like there was a fight scene. There's there. a yeah. There's a fight scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're right. supposed to. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's. You know, it's interesting if you read the Raiders script. There's a lot of stuff in that movie. It was in that script, but they cut out, didn't shoot, or they right. saved to the second film. You know, because they just throwing all sorts of shit in there. But again, you know, you start shooting, making it. 
and you start realizing about, you have to adjust. It's back to the right. thing with Donald Glover thing. It's like certain things you don't need, right. um, you know, because you, you know they probably shot it. They they might have shot right. it, you know, and it's just like certain things you don't need. You mean right. like you don't? It's interesting about what people shoot and what they don't need. I was you mm-hmm. know listening to the thing with um, Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. talk about when he did Blade Two, and he was saying that. He kind of didn't want to do it because he he was feeling bad about working in Hollywood. He was afraid to work in Hollywood at this point. He'd done, <laughs> he done the mimic and he got a lot of tr- he got I don't say blackball, but it just was a bad experience for him. Right. So he asked the people at New Line. He said, "Okay, to do Blade Two, I don't want to watch the first. Just watch the first movie." So he hadn't even seen it yet. He had seen it, but he was like, "I don't want to do that now to prepare for it. Right. I want to see everything that was shot." I want all the dailies. I want all what? the footage that was shot to know what you guys were going for, to know what the to, 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 to know everything that the movie was. That's you know different. Yeah, and he watched. He said he, he watched a lot of work. I mean, he watched all the footage hmm. that they printed. You know, because because they don't print everything when they mm-hmm. when they uh, shoot on film back then. And 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 it allowed him. He's like that. That immersed me in the world in a way, so I knew what they didn't do. Okay. Um, that they shot and didn't put in the film, and, and I could kind of figure out why, yeah. and maybe that's something that like I could like you know expand upon, or or you know I mean I I thought that was such an interesting um, approach to how to do a sequel because right. I doubt people I mean I doubt people get a chance to do I think they just come in and say here's a script are you interested and they just go oh yeah I love the movie blah 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 but to be able to come in and say I want to watch everything that was shot. Everything that was shot. I can't even imagine somebody saying that. That's brilliant. I know. I was like, fuck. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I mean, fuck, because you probably shoot like, I mean, shit. That might be like two weeks of just watching film. Right. You know? But. But but there was a a reason behind it, though. Yeah. He had a, he had a, uh, uh, he had a, he had a, what I want to call it, um, it, it it put him in. Would you say it put him in the in the world? In the world, yeah. In the world, even that's even better. I mean, wow, it's kind of like us because he was dissecting it, yeah, you know, from from the actual production for production point of view. Yeah, because I think a lot of times when you look at sequels, I'm not sure why the the, the first guy didn't come back to do the second one. And a lot right. of times, the first director, you know, especially if it's a hit movie, yeah, right. I, yeah. I mean, but there might have been problems. Right. I mean, you know, I, I know. You know that like Doug Lima didn't come back for the second born, second and third like born films. Right. I, I don't know why, but it happens from time to time. I just kind of feel like when there is a new director coming in, a lot of times the sequel doesn't have the same thing, mm-hmm. it, and and they usually kind of just amplify it right. in in maybe all the wrong like ways. That's why the sequels are you know don't feel the same. Right. Now, um, do you think they elevated part two? Well, see, like, I think part two is actually, like, the best installment of the Blade films. Hmm. The first one is really good. Right. But, but, but now knowing what Del Toro did on that, to, to, to be, you know, because if you, know, if, you, if you ever look at his work behind the scenes, stuff like that, like, he does so much, like, sketching and, and his own kind of, like, like he creates worlds himself. Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, did he write that one? Who wrote that? One? I don't. I think David Goyer did. Uh, because he wrote the first one. You know, <clears throat> I mean, they do so much. Like, like, like he does so much work 
to to create the world in his own head and to not have done that for a sequel i think it i think it's, it would be hard for him to come in okay. but but and it's very rare that you get those guys who are that stylized filmmakers to come in and work on someone else's property but um i'm i you know it's 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 an interesting thing it's a very interesting technique and uh I, I don't know. It's it's so it's, it's so much more visually interesting than the first one, and the third one he didn't do, and the third one is like, <clears throat> you know, they see they amplified it, so they brought in like Ryan Reynolds and right. and Jessica Biel to like add more players to the mix and things right. like that, and sometimes I think that works. And is that the one Ron Perlman was in? Was he in? Three? Ron was in the second one. Yeah, that's, that's because right. Ron and in. Uh, Guillermo were friends. They had done Chronos oh, okay. together. Right. Oh, yeah. There he is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chris Christopherson. That's who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Norman Reedus was in that one. I forgot about that. In the third one? In the second one. Second one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's interesting. <clears throat> it's interesting. Anyway, so you were going to talk about some things. What were they? Oh, so we're going to talk about uh, director's reels. Right. That's one thing. Let's get it. So, you know, like I uh, have been cutting together my reel uh, the last... Uh, the last month, I guess, a little more than a month, almost a month and a half. Anyway. Now, I may be interrupting you a little bit. Now, why are you doing this? Like, what's what's the purpose for people who don't know? Well, okay, so number <clears> one, you know, like, to get jobs as a director, it's just like trying to get a job as a writer. Like, you got to have a, um, you have to have a calling card. Right. And as a writer, it's like the first 10 pages of a script. Right. It's your script, it's and your for, script. for a director, yeah, you need a reel. You, you need a reel, right. because they want to see... Do you have an eye? Do you know how to like, and you have an eye as like composition, like lighting. Do you understand, you know, like production value and just all this kind of stuff? And can you make it compelling in like two to three minutes or not even two minutes? I mean, people have told me that a lot of times these agents and stuff, they'll, you know, like if they watch shorts or features or stuff like that, they only watch two or three minutes or five minutes if it's a feature right. to determine if they want to, like, you know, fucking work with you. <laughs> um, not going to, particularly shorts, that if people want to sign you, stuff like that. Right. And so I, you know, I met this guy who, he's the head of original programming at, at one of these cable networks, and he was saying that, you know, like, they look to do more diversity in hiring directors right. because they had some issues. They didn't have issues, but they brought in some directors, some particularly female directors, and I've heard this a lot from female directors, right. that um, uh, they get to shadow quite a bit, uh, you know, like through AFI or, or, or through women in film. They're able to get women to shadow on shows quite a bit, right. but there's never a point where, okay, I've shadowed four or five shows, but then I don't get to go do an episode. Right. And so the guy at this network was saying that, well, we approach it differently. You know, like we want to, I I, kind of, to me, to me, he made it sound like they have like, you know, like they've been made aware from women in a film that they need to, that the network studio people have to take a hand in putting diverse people behind the camera. So from what I gather from him is like, you know, if they decide to put you on a show on a shadow, Mm -hmm. that's basically de facto well, so on some show in our, in our on our network, you'll get an episode. It might not be the one you're shadowing on. It might it might be, but mm-hmm. but that's the confidence that we have in you. That's why we're putting you out and stuff like that. Because it's hard to shadow. I mean, like you know, the people that you can meet to shadow mm-hmm. are like 
you know, the EP showrunners, and those people are kind of hard to meet, and, um, or you got to ask a director. But the director, you know, the ways in television, it's not his show. Right. So then, like, he's still got to ask, line, yeah, right. you know, so he's still got to come ask the showrunner. Right. Unless he's someone like Paris, mm -hmm. you know, who's like the producing director on the show, right. does series director, and he's got a little more leeway to, to bring in right. someone. Well, he's the one responsible for hiring the directors on the show. Yeah, right. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm cutting together this thing, and you know, like I hadn't done one in a long time, and I wanted, and I hadn't done one in a long time. Um, so, where, how long are you trying to get it? About three? No, I'm, it's because be, don't. It's, let me just interrupt you. I apologize, um, because to me, I feel like if you're trying to say I can direct television, which is dialogue driven, don't you need scenes that sh to go on for thirty seconds or a minute or whatever to show that you can do that? Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean, well, well, yeah, well, see that. See, so, and this is the thing too that, like, I cut together this reel mm -hmm. that was like maybe two minutes and like fifteen seconds, right. and I and I kind of based it off of this 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 other woman's reel that I like a lot, named mm -hmm. named Vic Bahoni. I like her work, and and so for her reel, she had like forty five seconds, or maybe it was fifty a minute of. Montage, just okay. okay. This is my eye. This is how I shoot. This is everything like that. And then she had like a like a scene, like a thirty second scene. It was just a quiet scene okay. where there's no dialogue. Yeah. And then she ended it with like um uh like another maybe fifteen or twenty seconds of just shots, mm -hmm. you know. And so and so that was my template of what I was doing. <clears throat> and the thing that was interesting about her reel is is that you know is that that she did a feature. That had uh, Zoe Kravitz in it, right. and so the scene she has is, is got is like showcases Zoe Kravitz. Smart. And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of something I don't have. Like, I don't have some big actress, you know. Mm -hmm. She's not a big actress, but she's a, a known actress. Enough people know her to say, okay, so you have the the confidence of someone right. like that who's protecting their career because that's the thing about getting actors to do anything right. is that. That that they, they got to feel comfortable with you, and they got to feel that, that you'll protect them, yeah. in so many ways. And so you kind of need like some actor to to give you that stamp of approval. And I was like, well, I don't have that. So I put together a reel that was kind of following her thing, and I put together a scene, and I sent it to some people. I sent it to you, mm -hmm. and you know, I got feedback on it. I was like, some shots I didn't need, some shots, you know, could be different. You know, the scene I chose, I thought was an interesting scene, but then, you know, it was a scene I shot with my brother was in the scene and um, was another actor. Mm -hmm. And then some, and then I pulled that scene out because somebody said, uh, Co, who had edited mm -hmm. Architects, was like, people might think that you're trying to sell Will as an actor by having him in the thing, and they and they might think I thought something similar, you know, so, and, yeah, and and they might think that's like a deal breaker for you, or right. the, or that's how you guys roll. So I was like, okay, I don't want that because I had that happen to us before on, on a previous reel where we had a really great scene, this thing, and Chip was in the scene, mm -hmm. just he, and he had less less. Uh, stuff in the scene less mm -hmm. focus but everyone was like well if you haven't I mean they're going to meet him and no they think is that, that what you're trying to do yeah. so, that, so that scene came out then I had some footage from this Heineken commercial that we shot like 10 years ago that, that, that I still love and the people see it and still think it's really funny and really great but I took that out because I showed it to Ali um, Ali Leroy and he was, like, he was like you can't have that because it's not about television, it's about commercials, yeah. but also he was like, uh, "What's up with that footage?" 
And I was like, oh, yeah, because, you know, we had Telecine this thing, which people don't know because they don't shoot on film anymore. Like, Telecine is the process of when you scan the film to a video format, whether it's, you know, at that time it was analog, and we did it to DigiBeta, and, you know, and DigiBeta, you know... So the quality looks a lot different. Well, the quality is different because, um, like... Digi Beta's maximum resolution is 480 lines, yeah. uh, and it's interlaced. It's not even progressive scan. The difference between interlaced and progressive scan, people don't know, is um, in t- TVs prior to this, this the the digital TVs, the HD TVs, is that the the image ha- was created with different fields. So there'd be like, so when you say there's 480 lines, per, like like per frame. That's how many lines there are, but you still, but it's only really half of that. It's really like, mm-hmm. it's really like uh, 240 even, and then 240 odd, and those, and it comes oh, together, okay. and that's why you look at you look at older stuff now, and there's kind of like that, particularly on like patterns, you see that's the kind of lines mm-hmm. around because is it's, it grainy or what is it? It's, no, it's because the the fields are, are the, it's coming, it's like it's the it's the even number of lines, the odd mm-hmm. number of lines that are coming in so fast, yeah. it's 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 coming together. But the progressive scan with these digital things is it's just a full image, so it's just right. like a frame of film. That's why this stuff like 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 looks smoother now when mm-hmm. you see. stuff stuff and uh but also now the resolution is is, is 1080p for but sometimes for it's so HD. clean it looks like a soap which i don't like sometimes either though. well well <laughs> yeah and 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 that's a lot of times like the televisions it's some weird reason like the default setting on a television is at 60 frames and 120 kilohertz um uh that's the refresh rate mm-hmm. but 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 films are shot on at 24 frames and therefore, the refresh rate is usually like is like forty eight kilohertz. Mm. So you get to go in and kind of like typically, uh, you have to tweak your television when you get it out of the box. And most people don't know this, and it's weird to me that that that's the default setting for the manufacturers because they know that, that that nothing is shot in sixty frames, um, except for like HD TV for sports mm-hmm. because they want so much resolution for sports. But that's like. That's not what, that's not the main thing people watch TV for. So the problem with that footage was it's like I didn't have the money to to pay for a rescan at HD right. quality, and it stood out. It definitely stood out. I was like, I know that. So that got yanked. Um, and then I talked with like Billy Ray, and he was like, "This is where it got crazy." Is that some people were like, "Don't have the scene, mm-hmm. just show the montage." Some people are like, no, 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 no. I want the montage, but I want it longer because I need to see the scene kind of like develop. Like you were saying, can you mm-hmm. di- can you direct TV? Can you like like show me a full thing? I think I had like fifteen seconds or something like that, or maybe twenty seconds of a scene. So then I had to go back and just kind of like find a scene that I liked and that uh, was visually styled, you know. And then I put in a scene that I liked that uh, was cool and it had like a, a, it was a it was a full scene coming together. Did you you end up pulling something for Architects, or what did you do? Well, it's that scene in the lab I had first in Architects, mm-hmm. and because I liked it. But they scene. were already in the montage, some of them, right? Uh, well, yeah, but then I took all those out. Okay. I, I took all those out of the montage because it's like, well, I don't want to show you the same footage right. again in the thing. So then I had to find additional footage to put in the montage, mm-hmm. um, and so then I did that seat. So that so that was like two to three different versions to get that tight. And then I was talking with Carl, and Carl was like, "Carl Seaton, what's Carl up, man? Seaton, yeah, what's up, man? Thank you for the notes. I've got that." 
And uh, and he was like, well, you have that other scene in the bedroom that's like way more right. cinematic and right. way more like a visual stamp. Yeah, and, the whole fight, the all whole that, like right. all that shit. And he, and he was like, he was like, why don't you put that in there? Right. You know, and I was like. I don't know why I didn't put that in. <laughs> uh, so they had to go back and recut it again right. and they put that in there and, and, so, and so that meant taking the fight pieces from the montage that, so, and, oh, and so those right. had to come out again because those could be all in the, in the scene and mm-hmm. then the scenes from the lab had to go back into the montage right. and it's just like, oh my <laughs> God. Oh, so it was like version nine, you know, right. that I sent to Carl and he was like, okay, it's dope. Okay. Version nine is dope. Okay. So... I have to do like one little snip edit. Well, today. send it to me when you're done. When yeah, you're done. but it's a lot, and it's like you know because I said to myself, the thing is, is that you don't get to be in the room most of the time mm-hmm. when you're selling for people to to want to to, to when people want to bring you into the room to meet you. They just you know like. They're going to look at your script and read the first 10 pages or they're going to look at your reel and watch like 90 seconds, whatever it is, and then they're going to make a decision. And so you have to just be able to say, how do I be bulletproof on every situation? You know, it's like I can't have, uh, oh, that's good enough or blah, 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 or that's like, that's great, but not the best of it. It's maybe like the B plus version. Like, how do you get the A Let me ask you this. Here's the other thing. So, So in essence... You, your focus right now is for you and your brother to direct television, right? Correct? Um, or are you using it for both? I'm using it for both. Okay. I'm, yeah, yeah. Okay, here's where I'm going with this. Is your reel has to show people these are the type of things I can do right. or handle. Right. right. So if you're on a sci-fi show, you're on whatever, you're going, I could do that. You're on a drama, you're like, I could do that. The cop show, you're like, I got that Carl thing that we did. I got yeah. that. Fuck you, pay me. Yeah. I got a little bit of, I can do all kind of shit. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So your reel, let's talk about what needs to be in your reel to show who you are. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, because like, like, again, when we did this Heineken spot and we did two other kind of commercials, like a KFC spot, mm-hmm. um, and then we were trying to do um, like a Tide spot. And what someone had said to me in the commercial field was, you got great spots, but they're not the same. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, if you're going to do beer, you got to go after beer, and all your spots have got to be beer ads. Really? Because huh. it, it's, it's like it's so... It's so and like what I came to realize and what I hate is, is that until you're a very well-known person, yeah. Then they then they don't know if you can handle all sorts of different things, and they don't want to take the that risk. So I mean, whatever it is, that people right. do, people don't want to take the risk of bringing in someone new mm-hmm. who might have had like one funny beer ad, and he's got a car ad, and he's got everything like this, yeah. and it's like. Well, can he do beer ads? Because he did one, and th- and that might have been a fluke, right. or the car ad. He just, you know, what whatever it is. But if you can show the consistency of doing, you know, the beer, the blah blah blah, then that's what I was. I was like, ah. But you know, it's like it's hard to come up with. I mean, uh, commercials are hard because you do you do stuff on your own, right. and you're trying to like to match a brand, mm-hmm. and it's fucked because and you're trying to stand out. Yeah, you're trying to stand mm-hmm. out, right. and, and it's like. 
I remember I was I was I was working on a commercial, just doing behind the scenes work, and I was talking with one of the brand guys, and I was telling him about what I was doing. I sent him to Heineken, and he's like, "This is great, this is so fucking good," and he was like, "But look, you know, like, it, but the work, he, but that was a Verizon spot," and he was like, "If you want to work with me, I need to see some Verizon stuff," and I said to him, "Well, do you have some ads that you guys didn't shoot that that you loved?" Right. But the client didn't go for it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll send you those. Mm-hmm. And he sent it to us, and they were all really good. And we were talking about like shooting two or three of them, uh, but they're expensive, you right. know. And but but that was the moment where I was like, you know, commercials are like you, the director, aren't necessarily being asked to come up with the idea. That's the the agency right. and the copywriter show up and show up and shoot. Right. And it's like so like, so. Do you have a lot of toys to play with? A lot with of toys. Have a budget. Yeah, a lot. A mm, right. huge budget, like right. three, four million dollars to right. do like thirty seconds. Right. But it's like that's the thing that's hard about doing commercial work. I mean, to even break in because you then have to be the copywriter as well as the director just to get just to get the work. And then so for the directing for television for film, particularly for the televisions of now, it's kind of I was like, look, you know, like I have a lot of. Uh, I have some science fiction stuff. I have like that, that, that I, I basically have a lot of like elevated genre stuff, mm-hmm. which could go for stuff on like Flash, right. you know, the Green Arrow thing. Mm-hmm. It, it could go on like a plethora of, of Netflix type of shows. Uh, it could potentially go on some of these like these networks, these network shows like the cop stuff, the mm-hmm. NCIS and the, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, but I, I have nothing that would say I could do. Dynasty. I have nothing I could say that could do the crown or uh, something like that. Um, and I and I probably can't get to that point until I do get an, like something, you know. Oh, I mean, or if you know someone again, like a showrunner who knows you, they could give you something. It was like I was telling you before, you know, like like Chris and Billy had said you could come on and show and shadow on an episode of. Um, the last tycoon. Mm-hmm. If it came back, they were telling me like in, it was near the end of the season. I asked them like, "Well, we don't have any more spots, but you could come back." Mm-hmm. And you know, like that would give me an opportunity to do something that's like a period piece and stuff right. like that. And it's more of like a, um, you know, of like a true drama. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had a chance to do an episode like that, you know, because because like those guys are big fans and those guys know me and they go, "Oh, I know you're also a big fan of like." This world in general, like you know, history, and history, all that, right. and all this kind of stuff. So, so that's a place where those guys could take a risk on bringing me in to do the episode because they know me. Mm-hmm. But most people don't know you. They're just gonna look at your reel and go, "Yeah, he got an eye, and he doesn't. Oh, and he got good performances. Let's let's meet him." Mm-hmm. And and then they might or might not like you. And then there's a the whole strategy of like how you got to handle that meeting with mm-hmm. the people who are hiring the director. Mm-hmm. So, because uh, you can't come in and like um, you can't come in and do you. You can't come in and do you as a director in television. Um, well, yeah, you can't. But like, like, was it was it Glenn Mazzara who did the thing where um, there was a show that? Oh, I think it was um, Kathy we had on the show from Unreal. She was talking about it. there was an episode where they had to hire a director, or the director wanted to do a certain scene, and she wanted to go outside the box of what they normally do on the show. <clears throat> Glenn listened to her, and everybody else was like, no, we're not, we shouldn't do that, whatever. And Glenn's like, guys, oh, crash. Let, yeah, crash. He's he's like, like, guys crash, let's yeah. listen to her, let's try this thing, whatever. You need an ally, is what you need. Yeah. Right? You, oh, completely. Right. And, and we're going to have um, 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 Rosemary Rodriguez back on again, too. She's doing hell of the Walking Deads and all those other things right now. Um, 
She is really good, and we'll talk to her about like how do you keep your fucking voice? How do you still throw in something of yours? Like I can watch a show because I know Paris Barkley so well. I can tell that he directs a show. I can see it from the first frame. You know what I mean? How do you still show your voice in something that's somebody else's show? Well, to, you know that was always something that, on a certain extent, uh, kind of rankled me about television because you know, like directing is so much about like. How you're seeing the story, right? When you got to come in and do it on someone else's thing, it's like what, like you said, like how do you morph your techniques to someone else's design? And mm-hmm. particularly, I mean, it's different if you shot the pilot. Right. And I think a lot of times, like Paris is lucky because he gets to shoot pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember this woman, um, David Lynch's daughter, uh, you know, who did boxing, boxing. Boxing Helena, a long oh, Helena, time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I met her through Shane one time. Okay, I was, and she had done a film with Shane, um, and then she and it was a small film with and it, Vincent D'Onofrio. Mm-hmm. But it got her being able to. It kind of like got her back into the game because she went through a lot of bullshit with right. the boxing Helena, right. um, and she basically was telling me like, um, so you go in and you say, look, I read a script, I love it. I'm gonna do what you want. I've watched the show. I get this is like this is the style you do. This one scene. Hmm. I'm gonna do this on one scene, and everything else will be what you want. But can I do this on one scene? Hmm. And I love that. She was like, "That's basically how you can get in," because right. then they're like, "I'm not." She's elevating. Yeah. The well, right. she's like, "Look, I'm. I'm like." She's. I was like, "Okay, so you're not coming in and being an automaton for right. them because that at that point." Why should I hire you? Right. But you know, but you can't just stick out on every situation. Mm-hmm. But but again, it goes back to what I was saying to you before about your scene with the in in your script um, in the horror thing about mm-hmm. this when the guy comes to his own. Mm-hmm. It's like there's usually some scene in the script that is one thing for the actor, maybe it's one thing for a director. The director might say, "I could kill this if we did it like right. this," right? And it, you just come in and say, "Look, I'm gonna do everything else you want." The way you want it, give you all the coverage you need, because mm-hmm. you know it's something that that, that um, Jeff Melvin was saying. It was mm-hmm. like directors don't, you know, spend they get two weeks to cut on a TV show, mm-hmm. and the showrunner guy's got he's like he's he's supervising the edit on on the whole show, right. you know. <clears throat> but that way, it's like I can find a way to maybe it's action scene, maybe it's a conversation, whatever it is that you feel. It's so talking to you about like why you want to be on the show, right. you know, like I want a shot to do this. Uh, that's and 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 you gotta be able to articulate it as strongly as possible in a way that makes them feel like we can risk that bit of stylization mm-hmm. um, in the show, and it'll still be it's still my show. But he's bringing me something that like I didn't think about. Yeah. I think there was like I, I remember when when Jennifer that's her name Jennifer Lynch she told that to me, and then I happened to be watching an episode of um, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And there was some episode where it all took place in that basement where they were like, uh, you know, that they made the meth in the basement. Mm-hmm. 
and it was like p- kind of from the point of view of like a fly or something like that. And oh yeah, yeah. And it yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. came in mm-hmm. and like Ryan Johnson, who directed Looper and just directed The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. you know, like that was one of the last. I mean, like that was the episode he directed. So, but you know, that's, that's that's what he was doing between Looper and Jedi. Right. He was doing a lot of work on Breaking Bad, and I was like, that's such a like that way of coming out of the episode because it came in on that fly and then floated around all in the above the action. I was like. That's not probably the way it was written. Right. I mean, it might have been, but to really like, but he probably came in and said, "This is how I can do it." Right. And they were like, "Okay, you got the job." Was that a bottle episode? I think I'm, so. I'm I, I think if, so. Like that's why they were able to, like, to do something. elevate it because yeah. they were inside of they that were inside, room. They were inside, yeah. Long, and, right. I, and I think it. I mean, that's the thing too that could really save your ass as a director, or I mean, get you kudos as a director is if you're doing a bottle episode, and you probably know that because you've read the script. Right. If you come in with the way and say, how do we really like take this that right. there's no money because you guys got one because you, you, you're saving money for the two episodes later and everything mm-hmm. like that. How do we make this episode like still like super cool, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's what you can do. That's what's up. Cool. All right. Well, I wish you all the best with that. Thank you. you. Know, I, think, I think you and your brother deserve some shit. You guys are really talented. You get in the audience, listeners, you guys can hear. My man knows what he's talking about when it comes to fucking directing and film. So, you know, I know we got some shit we trying to do. I know. I these know. people would just come through with this fucking money yeah. so we can get moving. <laughs> I know. I know. God damn. It's slow. It's fucking March. Like, we'll have it at the end of the year. It's yeah, like, it's, it's like, March, bitch. Now. I know. Motherfucker. <laughs> I gotta talk about, you know. Uh, but I'm, you know what? I got to... Uh, I'm going to talk with a friend of mine who knows one of the actors that we... I found out he knows one of the actors that we wanted. And he told me that uh, the actor that we want will probably be up to the film like what we're trying to do because he was offered Fruitvale and turned it down. What? Because his agents were like... Small movies, <laughs> not for you, and blah blah blah. <laughs> and I was looking, I was, I was like, okay. and I said to myself, he "You could have been, been Killmonger right been now. Killmonger, you see, would have been, but you know, he would have been like like Ryan Coogler's boy. Right, right. And uh, you know, so now you know. And my friend was like, "Oh, um, he was telling the actor, you should do this role, you should do this role, do this role, do this role." And he got talked out of it. So now, from what I've heard, like my friends got more sway on what the actor will do. So and, and he's still hot, whoever the person yeah yeah is. yeah. And and because he's young enough, right. um, and uh, you know my the guy who I'm gonna talk to, like he's read like the first 15 pages of the script. He really thought it. Like, he he really loved it. He came to this, like a reading we were doing. And he was like, "Oh, this sounds fucking cool, shit like that." Yeah. You know. So I know he will be able to give it the right. Um, He'll be able to recommend it to the actor. Okay. So I think if he wants to do it, it'll make everything else kind of just go faster. So Cool. That's what's up. Great episode. So where are you at, Chris Derek? I am <clears throat> at shadowboxercinema.net. I am at Twitter at, and Instagram at unauthorizedcbd. And DerekBrothers.com. Which, by the way, I keep getting people hitting me, asking me to start a Patreon. You should. It's just work. <laughs> I got too much shit going. I'll see if I set up for you. All right, let's talk about. It. Let's talk about. Because you know we can use some help. We spend a lot of money on this fucking show. We could use some money anyway. Uh, so <laughs> it's your boy Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can uh, follow the show Screenwriters RR on Twitter. <clears throat> Any questions? Screenwriters Rant Room at gmail.com. Um, please give us a five-star review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever you guys listen to. Um, big shout out to all the countries and 
the listeners to follow us. We appreciate y'all, motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> uh, shout out to Lisa. We'll see her soon. Um, we're coming up on our 200th episode, dropping in a few weeks. So y'all gonna be you have to tune in for that. It's probably gonna be a two parter because it's gonna be so big. All these guests. Um, yeah, we're gonna have 900 people in this room. Um, <laughs> Uh yeah, that's what's up. A lot of good shit going on, Chris. A lot of good shit. That's this good. is gonna be finally shit's on the way to being produced. I'm so glad. Um, anyway, so y'all know how we do it on the rant room on the show. We, we about to go through the whole damn thing again. <laughs> y'all know how to do, do it on the head. rant room. <laughs> we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Chris? Wakanda. Wakanda. Peace, y'all. I'ma say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Rant Room So you wanna be a rider, well you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed In the Rant Room, we let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class, yes they used to bowl a kaja Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want Welcome to the Red Room